Here's Middleton. Giannis trailing the lob. Oh! Run. Two on one. Green the finish. Wow, the alley Turned the corner. Inside! He made Yusuf Nurkic a screensaver. Here comes Murray. Alley up to Gordon. Oh, what a play! All right, joining me now, Dan Favalli of Bleacher Report. You can find his podcast, Hardwood Knox, wherever you get podcasts. Dan, thank you so much for hopping on. Let's chat about the Knicks. This has been uh, kind of not really a surprising season, I'd say, for the Knicks. This is about what I think we'd expect, and, and yet they were 2-4 and four when we last spoke. 15-8 and eight in their last thir- uh, 23 games. What has been the cause for this turnaround? Uh, I think you're starting to see their best players, specifically Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle, have rounded into form during that stretch. Last time we talked, they were both struggling a lot from the field. And since then, um, Julius Randle's had just a better all-around performance for the most part. His his performance on defense can still wax and wane, and I think you'd like his three-point clip to be higher at the moment. But his decision-making as a passer and even as a scorer has been um, great for this team. And I think even bigger, but now anyway... Uh, Jalen Brunson, just the the fact that he has turned into one of the most lethal off the dribble three point shooters in the league is a huge development for a team that in the month of December is not taking many threes relative to the to the league average. I think they're like 25th or 26th in three point attempt rate um, during this month um, to have that sort of weapon in him when you're not getting the night to night accuracy from RJ Barrett, who struggled since he came back from injury or even Julius Randle, where the accuracy hasn't always been there. To have that as sort of a crutch, especially when defenses are, I don't want to say they're on to Jalen Brunson inside the arc, but when you look at his shot quality, probably relative to the past few seasons, including that first season in New York, I would argue they're probably just not as high inside the arc because of the, of the way that a lot of the defenses will will try to go after the Knicks. And so having those, you know, you've had other good performances. Dante DiVincenzo has been a shot of adrenaline, but I think you look at Brunson and Randall specifically as the driving forces behind why this team is... Uh, where it is in the standings, despite not you know necessarily playing the easiest schedule to date, and that's how it's got to be though with with the with those two guys kind of leading the charge. Uh, that was part of our discussion at the beginning was hey these guys have to get it in order, and Jalen Brunson has obviously done that. Julius Randle it might be a little bit slower, but he still has these games where he reminds you hey made made a couple All NBA teams still pretty good still still know what is still know what it's all about in New York. Um, and it just had an impressive win over the Bucks on on Christmas Day. That's one that I think could be galvanizing for a team like this, where uh, the I think one of the traditions from around the league is that the Bucks would always go to Madison Square Garden on Christmas and and they put on a show. And now it's the Knicks. The Knicks are the team that's winning in this matchup. So, uh, what can that really galvanize a team like this? Uh, that that particular game. I think it can just because I think Milwaukee had won nine straight entering that game against the Knicks, and it just seems like dating back to last season that they always just make all of their threes against New York and they shot under 32% on Christmas day. Um, And to have a game like that when you're the Knicks and you win it and you didn't shoot particularly well as a team from three, I think they were eight of 26 from beyond the arc. Um, I do think that can go a long way towards instilling just confidence. And it's, I think you look at, you know, can you build off of, is this a sign? Maybe RJ Barrett's turning another corner. He's been one of the NBA's biggest roller coasters for a few years. Probably not, but you get some sense of validation from Jalen Brunson. You get another big game from Emmanuel quickly. And you the thing that I think everyone comes back to with this team, and rightfully so, 
is just the depth. They don't have Mitchell Robinson right now. I think you can see for stretches that their defense has certainly suffered uh, because of his his absence, but they're just even dealing with Jericho Sims being out. Like you have Isaiah Hartenstein to fill fill those minutes. You have guys um, in the supporting cast where if you're going to make changes to the starting lineup, like they have done since we last spoke, um, you're still going to be able to find, you know, look, Quentin Grimes only taking two shots, but he played some pretty good defense against Milwaukee. Um, there's just depth to this team. And I think that type of a win will be interesting to see if it's something they could build off of. I still don't think you put them in the same class as a team like Milwaukee or Boston in the, um, in the Eastern conference, certainly in the context of a best of seven series. Um, but this team is deep and they're close. And you and I had talked about it last time, even amidst their struggles is that they're in that nice spot where they are really good. And it's trying to figure out, well, how do we get to that next step, which is where the bucks and the Celtics are currently. And can it be done with the roster that you have, which is you look at a win like this and does it start this nice stretch for them? Or do they, have they figured out something defensively against the bucks? We saw Randall give them some really good defensive reps against Giannis over the past, really those, those past two games. Cause they had that sort of baseball set against uh, Milwaukee leading into Christmas weekend. So like, can you build off of it? I think just because of how the Bucks have been this bugaboo for the Knicks, it does mean something beyond it just being on Christmas Day. Um, but I don't think it, you know, shifts our perception of where the Knicks stand relative to, you know, Milwaukee, Boston and the Eastern Conference. Right. And I mean, coming from a, a Nuggets perspective over here, it's like the Clippers finally beating the Nuggets with Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. Like, it doesn't really change my opinion on, on whether Denver is going to be able to win that matchup. But it is still one where it feels way better for for the opposition and that can, and in this case Knicks fans for being able to stand up to a team that has two mega stars on it. So um, you mentioned the depth. You mentioned the Mitchell Robinson injury. It's a serious loss. Just can you explain to folks that are maybe tuning in for the first time how serious of a loss it is to have Mitchell Robinson out? It's a huge loss, and he is integral to what they do at both ends of the floor. And some of it is is by necessity where offensively, I think actually playing Hartenstein more provided he can hold up under, you know, he's never played. You watched him a lot when he was in Denver. This is not someone who has played a ton of minutes throughout his career. So as long as he's going to hold up with the extra volume, he is going to give you an extra layer of dynamism on the offensive end. Um, but Mitchell Robinson's offensive rebounding is super important to the way that the Knicks play. I think a lot of the on-off splits have not really shown this on the season. He is mission critical to what they do defensively. When you look at how he changes opponent shots and the frequency with which they're taking attempts from floater range and, and sort of bailing out or the way that he's able to come up and outside the paint and make life difficult on all these separate actions, you're not going to get that same, I, I mean, north, south, east, west, around the compass mobility from Isaiah Hartenstein. Maybe you can get some of it from Jericho Sims, but he's out right now. You have Tosh Gibson playing a bunch of minutes for you on a Christmas day because apparently this is, you know, 2012 or 14 or <laughs> we're in Chicago or whatever. So I, I think it ends up being massive and they've already applied for the hardship exception, which when that report came out after the initial eight to 10 week timetable raised, it raised my eyebrows. I think it raised everybody's eyebrows. Then Tibbs came out and said, you know, nothing's changed from the eight to 10 week timetable. That might've just been the front office doing their due diligence. I honestly don't know. Uh, I don't think they need to be in a rush to, you know, we all know how the hardship exception works where you're only going to get someone on an expiring contract or signing a one-year deal anyway. I don't think regardless of what they do that they need to look at it and say, well, we need to address the center spot. And you know why you don't address the center spot? Because Mitchell Robinson is still under contract after this right. year. And if you're worrying about losing Hartenstein, which you might, you deal with that over the summer when he enters free agency. And so I don't expect them to overreact, but 
I do think that, and against certain matchups, like it might work out a little bit better for them just because of what Hartenstein will bring to the table offensively for you. So I don't expect them to go out and make this big move, whether it's a signing or, you know, via trade. I think if more likely than anything, maybe they do something on the buyout market once the trade winds have settled in um, the middle of February. But with all of that said, there's a chance that when we kind of fast forward, we've seen their defense has not been great for the month of December. We start getting in the new year. We start getting close to the February trade deadline. And if you're not going to go after a big, maybe that need that we all know they have for that bigger wing who can hit threes. And it's just my my co-host Grant has called it the upgrade button over RJ Barrett is what you're looking mm. for. That problem might become more pronounced because you don't have Mitchell Robinson. And so I think this is going to be a fascinating next few weeks for, for this next team. I'm curious about it. I, I think that given like and i like the way that you framed it with the the upgrade button and how grant kind of framed that because it is it is so true though like this is a team that has a bunch of different options that has a bunch of different depth pieces and and different players that you can go to we talk about emmanuel quickly not necessarily getting as much time as he needs to josh hart is still and dante divincenzo come off the bench like that is always going to be a thing and like they're always going to have options there but it's about having the best possible options and so i think that's actually curious i'm, I'm gonna lead into that with a question here you get jalen brunson and julius randall who are the next three guys that you're taking that you're bringing to a playoff series like every context whatever it is you do not know the opponent who are the next three guys on the team i think you have to it has to be hard to sign just knowing the way that Tibbs is going to play with his centers and like he just wants a you know he might be more inclined to play Jericho Sims actually if Jericho Sims is healthy but wild I think Hartenstein <laughs> has to be there um this is it's it feels like in you're narrowing it down between I want to say that it's Quentin Grimes or RJ Barrett and the answer at this point is just no it's not and so it comes down to like the final three taking two from DiVincenzo Josh Harder Emmanuel quickly whose future with this team the latter is just absolutely it's interesting. It's intriguing. It's fascinating. Maybe morbidly so if you're if you're a Knicks fan. I think I'd probably go with. I'm gonna go with Josh Hart, and I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with the. I'm gonna go with him. I'm gonna go with Divincenzo. I think he's probably a little bit more disruptive <laughs> away from the ball, and potentially a little bit more complimentary on the offensive end. Um, just when you have Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson, the need for like that on-ball creator and Emmanuel quickly is not as great. He's definitely a better on-ball defender than DiVincenzo. I probably trust, this is without looking at the volume numbers, I might trust DiVincenzo to kind of have one of those nights where he's not holding the ball a ton, but oh, look, he just went like five of eight from three type right. deal. Um, so I think that's who I'm bringing to a playoff series. He's one of the guys that, like, you look at the Golden State Warriors last year, he's one of the only guys outside of Steph Curry that showed up for that Lakers series. And it is important to have different guys that you can work into different contexts. But the reason why I ask you that question is because I'm still trying to figure out who the trust guys are for the Knicks. And obviously, if you're not going with Quinton Grimes or RJ Barrett, which is fascinating to go that different direction, it is fascinating, I think, to talk about this from a, a roster building standpoint and a playoff building standpoint and, and where this team kind of prioritizes their future going from here. Uh, Emmanuel Quigley, I was actually looking up these numbers. Brunson and Quickly, it was, I think, a plus 11 net rating when those guys shared the floor together, something like that. And like that's that's tremendous. And for two small guys to be able to put that together, that that could still help your future. I could I could still see that for sure. Um we talked about, I just mentioned the small guys. 
There was a quote that came out from Becky Hammond uh, covering for ESPN over the course of this last week or so about Jalen Brunson being, I say, too small to be a 1A on a championship team, I believe was the phrasing that she used. Um, obviously, Knicks fans are pretty polarized with with that kind of conversation and, and like like to get mad in some of these contexts. But I think that's a fascinating way to frame it because I'm not sure she's wrong. But I also like the way that Jalen Brunson and the Knicks have responded in terms of how they have approached that conversation and then how Jalen Brunson just continues to ball out. Yeah, I found the reaction and then she had to clarify it, which I didn't think she did. I actually found that more just notable where yeah. we are at the discourse than her saying it. I don't think it's a spicy take to say, hey, this six one six foot point guard can't be the best player on a championship team. It's not a spicy take. We just we haven't. When is the last time we saw it? Like, who is the smallest guy who has been the best player on a title team in recent memory? I think it's Steph Curry, clearly, and even he is he is 6'3". I think even the way she framed it, where you say 1A, it kind of means like he needs his 1B or needs to be the 1B, where maybe it's someone, and we've talked a lot about this on Hardwood Knox, is Jalen Brunson, to me, has and the size concerns, teams going after him defensively in the playoff series, they matter to me. But I think sure. he has played well enough to say your next player needs to be as good as Jalen Brunson, like that next consolidation trade. They don't need to be better. Maybe preferably they would because the whole entire point of this is when you go through the list of champions that didn't have a top 10 player, there's it's just so sparse at this point. And Jalen Brunson is not a top 10 player. That's not an insult. He will probably contend for an all-NBA spot. He's just not one of the 10 best players in the NBA. And that, again, that's not an insult. Like to say that to me is just not a hot take. It's I think if you want to win a title where he is the driving force of your offense, it's going to take a specific type of personnel around them, him. And I don't know that they have it yet. And I think you can even see it when I'm sure you saw the report from SNY's Ian Begley that some people in the organization think DeJounte Murray would be a great fit. And I saw Nick Sanders like, absolutely not. And yeah. my my absolutely not would be, well, Jalen, Julius Randle's still going to be there, and so is R.J. Barrett. Like, if, if both of those guys are there, or even, even one of them, the answer is absolutely not. But if you want someone who has a little bit more size next to Jalen Brunson, I know people are down on DeJounte Murray because he hasn't been as good defensively this year. Like, that that is someone who would make some sense. But it's right now, I think... We already alluded to this a little bit. It's it's the bigger wing spot. Does it need to be someone who has a ton of ball skills? It's the upgrade button, at least in terms of consistency on, on the RJ Barrett. And so I didn't find those comments to be too offensive. It is. It will be an interesting discussion to have, though, if they do make it deep into the playoffs, because on some level, like we just we haven't seen someone this small. Like Who is someone this small has been even like the best player on a title contender i I thought saw someone throw out like isaiah thomas with the pistons a while ago that feels like way too far back yeah maybe like alan iverson with uh with the sixers i guess but he had a very specific circumstance around him and it was kind of a pretty weak eastern conference after jordan retired so it's tough like that's it's a it's a tough question to answer for sure and it's i think some knicks fans get insulted by this but the ones who kind of not been through it because i'm sure there are knicks fans who are i don't want to call them fair weather knicks fans it's just you can enjoy this while also what they're doing because you should. And I think the bigger thing here is like the front office is not, even if you're not, I've argued that their trade assets have kind of, they've lost some of their shine just because they're a guy. Like we saw what happened with Obi Toppin. Emmanuel quickly is coming up on a new contract. It's just as these guys get deeper into their rookie scales, as some of these picks look like they might not convey. And as the Knicks get more competent as a franchise, which they have done because they haven't done anything to sort of 
unnecessarily accelerate what they're doing. Their own picks, in theory, just aren't as valuable. You look at them as, if you want to say, oh, Knicks picks, we're just going to take them like if they were Kings picks. The Kings are a different organization now, too. So I think we can all recognize that the Knicks are a really good basketball team. There's just not a clear path to them reaching the level of a Denver, of a Milwaukee, of a Boston, to be in that inner circle of contenders. And by clear path, I mean... If you pull off a trade for the right star, then yes, you are there. I think you can argue the Knicks are among the teams where, in theory, every team is one player away. But Nikola Jokic is not a trade asset. So it's like, of the teams that are realistically a gettable player away, I think the Knicks belong in that discussion. It's just the way they're built, it's interesting from a standpoint of who is that player. If you had the ideal player to come available... Who is it? And it's like you see these names that are available right now and Siakam and Zach Levine, and it's those guys don't make sense. Right now, DeJounte Murray does not make sense. The perfect player might actually be kind of a non-star. Where it's, it's OG Ananobi, but it's OG Ananobi for like 29 of the 30 NBA franchises too. Sure. Um, so I think that's that's a problem, but it's a good problem to have where it's, hey, how do we figure out to take our team that is, could they win two playoff series? Sure. If they come out of the East, I'll be... I'll be pretty surprised. And I think the conversation gets more urgent over the offseason when quickly is a free agent. You will have Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle, both extension eligible. And Isaiah Hartenstein's a free agent as well. And mind you, look, I don't think he's quite there yet, but there's a chance that at least one of Brunson or Randle is coming off an all-NBA um, performance, which then makes figuring out their next contracts that much harder. Particularly Julius Randle, I think, is written off, and he's been written off for so long, I've said the choice is eventually going to come down to R.J. Barrett or Julius Randle, and I've always just sided with Barrett. I've swung, the pendulum has swung all the way to the other end, where it's, I think Julius Randle, even by myself, has been underappreciated, where we look at and say, well, he's more valuable to the Knicks than any other franchise, and it's, that's okay, because of how, val- like, because of what he's doing for you, and there's a chance. I wouldn't predict it. I just don't think he's been that good. Recently, he's been very good. But he's, he, he'll be mentioned in like the All-NBA discussion again for a third time. And he's just written off as just sort of like, no, that's an accident that that happened. And look, this year, I know they got rid of positions, but that don't, I think the rule about the 65 games probably benefits him and Jalen Brunson more than it does like any of the other stars because they yeah. play for Tibbs. And so <laughs> it's that'll be just something. I don't really know what that has to do from a roster perspective other than, well, if we need to reinvest in these guys, that's when it gets real. Because I think right now they're both on – even if you don't think a trademark of Julius Randle, Randle would be particularly robust, they're both on above, like, I'll say below market deals, frame it that way from a team perspective. Building this roster out gets more challenging as they start to make more, you know that their next deals are going to be worth a boatload more. And so right now, I think it's fine to enjoy what they're doing because it's it's a sign that they have progressed as a franchise. But we also need to recognize that taking that next step, which is one, the hardest step in a vacuum to make, to go from good to great. Um I feel like they have a more obfuscated path to get there than a lot of other teams that might be in there in their situation. What a word, obfuscated. I, that's that's a while. It's been a bit a while for me for that one. Uh, last one for me. What do you think we'll be talking about with this team in six weeks? It'll be right around the trade deadline. Is this going to be a team? I mean, I, we've per- always know that they're going to be aggressive, and if they're always going to try to find that next guy, then that's that is like we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I tend to think of this team just as say they're they're going to keep rolling along and they're probably going to be a four seed by the time that this thing is all said and done is is what I'm guessing. Uh, what do you think we're going to be talking about with them in six weeks? 
Yeah, I mean, we'll be we'll be past the trade deadline at that point, or we'll be right uh, there. It'll be right around there, like like very close. I think it'll be what are they going to do in the sense of I don't think that that and these trades happen so rarely midseason unless the star says I want to go X. So it's not will they get a star, but it's what need will they address and at what level? And it's will they just stand pat in the face of. I don't think it's going to be a quiet deadline, but are you going to want to, you know, let's use Bojan Bogdanovic as an example. Let's say he starts to play better and you have an opportunity to say, hey, we'll just kind of temporarily juice up the half court offense. Will they, are they willing to do something like that if it costs a protected first round pick? And again, this is prided on him playing a lot better. Um, or are they going to be, well, no, we're kind of more like on a bigger move or bust, maybe not a star, but if it's not an OG and an OB type player. We're just kind of going to sit it out. But this front office has traditionally done something. And so I think that will be the discussion is at what scale and what need does it address? And I think you look at, we've talked about the wing or it's, will they just try to fortify like the most Nixian move right now would be, Hey, they just traded for Xavier Tillman. And like, that's like the guy that's going to come in and like help you kind of fill the big man minutes while Mitchell Robinson, if he's out for the rest of the year. Um, But I think, and this will be part of the next six weeks, is they're probably a team, I would say more than most who will be buyers, that have to be looking at the market and thinking, there has to be that surprise name that becomes available we're not thinking of yet. Because as of right now, the names that are being floated around really just don't fit like the Knicks motif or what the Knicks actually need. And so it's it's a waiting game, really, for them. And I think that's what we discuss. And the, the other thing that'll be a subplot of all this, but it is going to be prodded upon, well, what trade targets are available? Do they look at moving... A Quentin Grimes with his role diminished. Does RJ Barrett rumors heat up again? Or are there going to be teams that aggressively go after Emmanuel quickly in advance of restricted free agency? And I think that the latter, I would be fairly surprised if they moved him, but like he is probably the most interesting player from a big picture perspective on this team. I know teams are reticent to throw out those restricted free agent offers, but like that is someone who fits in a lot of different places, many of which will, you know, you look at it in Orlando or San Antonio, like they could have cap space or get to points where they have serious cap space this year. And that's just a name that would they be willing to move off him? Cause there are nights where he plays these critical roles for them. And then there are nights where they, where he doesn't. And it's a symptom of their depth and their just overall roster construction where they have a bunch of these smaller perimeter players. So I'm more interested to see like who they will target, but I'm trying, I'm interested to see what names on their roster. Other teams will target too, as we head into the trade deadline going to be fascinating to see but i can't believe cannot believe that you would take advantage of the two and 52 uh, detroit pistons like that with acquiring boyan bogdanovich from them and taking that guy away come on now that's uh that's so sad damn <laughs> god look hey i mean at this point i don't he has not looked fantastic since he's actually made oh, his no. debut and so maybe they'd be more you know him and Alec burks like might just need to get out of detroit at this point, <laughs> I, I I'm not sure I would touch anybody with a ten foot pole in Detroit. Like at this point, that's uh, it's a, it's been a painful process there. But either way, he is Dan Favalli of Bleacher Report and of the Hardwood Knox podcast. Make sure to go check that as often as possible. One of the best NBA podcasts around. Thank you so much for your time, Dan. Let's talk in six weeks. All right. Most definitely. Thanks for having me as always, Ryan. Take care. 